The scripture reading today is from the book of Proverbs and the Gospel of John. You can find it printed on page 10 of your worship folder. A reading from Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call, and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in the front of town, at the entrance of the portals she cries out, To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and fields or the world's first bits of soil. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the human race. Now a reading from John chapter 16. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said, that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, we ask now that you meet us here in this room, however we find ourselves worried or confused or sleepy or in a state of anxiety, depressed, angry. All that we bring of ourselves into this room right now, we ask that you would help us to be present to your presence, that you'd help us to believe that you have that we, you have something to tell us that we must hear and need to hear. Help us to believe that you have arranged this moment and give us grace to be here and now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Trinity Sunday, everybody. Happy. Preachers get excited about these things, okay? Fun fact, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Dang, Fred, such a downer right out of the gate. Goodness gracious. Hey, that's all right. It's passages like the one we have here today that speaks of God who mysteriously exists, we infer, as three in one, a community, a dance of love, as other Christian theologians would call it, that we are invited into, all well and good. But my question as we read these texts today is what, what might that mean for my own spiritual development, for your own spiritual development. Because what I love about this passage is that the triune God 
is committed to your evolving faith. The triune God is committed to your evolving faith. But we have to talk about a few things first. So, who here is ready for a little church history? Are you with me? Yeah. Woohoo! All right. Some people are right. Oh, I love this. All right. So, during the Reformation, uh, there's a whole lot of slogans that were created. Maybe you've heard of some of these slogans. They, a lot of them are, have the word alone in them, solas, they used to call them. There's sola fide, which means by faith alone, and sola Christus, which means by Christ alone, sola gratia, which means by grace alone, sola, there's, here's a mouthful, soli deo gloria, which means glory to God alone, and so forth. These are, these are 16th century European theological developments about faith, grace, Christ, glory, etc. But there's one more that has to do with the Bible with a book, the Bible. It's sola scriptura. These are all Latin because for some reason we think if we put things in Latin, it just makes them sound much better. Um, by scripture alone. Now, historically, this is a group of people saying to the Pope, you're not the authority. That's what's going on in its historical context. So we believe the Bible's the authority, not you. So that's the history behind it. Not going to go into more than that. But here's the problem with it. For starters... It privileges the literate, those who can read, and forgets that for 1,500 years, most people didn't own a Bible or know how to read. Also, we don't just read a Bible, do we? We interpret it. Now, that's just the honest truth, right? We interpret it. And so, sola scriptura, some people say, it might be why we have over 30,000 denominations in the world. But here's the biggest problem with it. This same Bible has John chapter 16, verse 12 and 13 in it that you just heard read. I still have, Jesus speaking, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now think about that for just a minute. Jesus is saying, I've got some things that I can't really talk to you about right now. You cannot bear it. So, so I can say sola scriptura only if we mean by this scripture alone is the authority that tells us God has more to teach us. God has more to say, which is why I'm a big fan of the last slogan coming from the Reformation a little while later after that time. It's also a mouthful. Ecclesia semper reformanda est, which is Latin for the church must always be reformed. Or shorthand, ever reforming ever reforming. So we have these slogans about theology. We have slogans about the Bible, a slogan that screams very importantly, the church won't ever have that locked down. You won't have it ever all locked down. Normal operational procedure for a healthy Christian spirituality is a faith that is always growing and understanding and evolving because we are always being, as the scripture here says, guided into all truth by the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you. I was taught to think that our faith was something to be figured out from a book and then I would be certain and I would have all the answers instead of a faith as an avenue of ongoing discovery. As I like to say, our theological foundation should be a home and not a prison. A home and not a prison. 
So look at these two readings. I mean, in one we have Proverbs 8. We have Sophia, the wise feminine, walking the streets and parting her knowledge and truth, her very fruit, to those who have ears to hear. After all, our wisdom, Sophia, in Proverbs 8, was found at the very creation of the world. It says, ages ago, at the first, before the beginning of the earth, she tells us. And those that find me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. Injure themselves. And in the other, we have Jesus telling his disciples, like I've already said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Just think about that for a second. I have many things to tell you. You, We know this to be true, don't we, in our own lives? I was just having a conversation right before the service. We were talking about um, being parents of adults and and how we wish when we were younger we would have read this or that because, man, that sure would have helped in raising our kids. And we both agreed that we could have read this or that back then, but it wouldn't have mattered (laughs) because we couldn't hear it, right? We couldn't hear it. Jesus understands the way people learn. This is so instructive in our own relationships with people, isn't it? You've, some of you, you've, you've, like me, you've, you've, you woke up later in life to all sorts of things. And, and you have friends and they think you've gone off the rails. And they may not understand you anymore. And they're wondering what's going on with you. And part of what's happening is, is the readiness to receive. That is the human condition. Jesus, Jesus sees this. I have things to say to you, but you're not ready to hear them yet. You cannot bear them. The spirit, which by the way is gender neutral and often feminine elsewhere, so we'll just correct that. She will guide you into all the truth. Jesus held out on the disciples because they weren't ready. And on top of that, we only know a little of what Jesus actually said and taught. Why do I say that? Because in John chapter 21, John says... There are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could contain the books, could not contain the books that would be written. All that to say, is it healthy, and I would say classic, historic, healthy, orthodox, whatever word you want, Christian discipleship, therefore, cannot be a matter of merely following a book. The good news is that the Bible is not God. Amen. It is not the object of our faith. It is not an end in itself. It is the unfolding story of Israel coming to know their God, culminating in Jesus. We read it always in the light of Christ, expecting the Spirit's guidance into all truth. And that's scarier than having a Bible that we've locked down and start to treat like a manual. We read it believing in a triune God who is committed to our faith. They are all there in John 16. Father, Son, Spirit, apropos for Trinity Sunday, the the lectionary out of of which this passage is a part. uh, was smart to do so. So we have Jesus saying that things that we can't bear, you can't understand, you aren't ready to hear. It's as if Jesus is saying, "But, but it's okay. Hey, everybody, it's okay. The Spirit. The Spirit I'll send. Spirit will be along to guide you. She's a good and trustworthy guide. I'm not actually leaving you all alone. We are all going to be all right. As John 16 includes all of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we could rephrase this passage as saying this. Trinity, (laughs) Trinity's got your back on this. 
We are committed to your ongoing, evolving understanding. Keep your ears clean and ready to receive. So here I think, therefore, if we're going to develop a Christian spirituality that's healthy, what can we learn? Three at least things to remember if you're developing a Christian spirituality. Number one is the word honesty. Honesty. Honesty about the complexity of Scripture is to take it very seriously. So I am not for not taking the Bible seriously. Don't misunderstand me. But honesty about its complexity is to actually really take it serious. We believe that God speaks to us, yes, in a unique way in the Bible. Paul calls the Old Testament inspired, literally, God-breathed. And Christians believe that this is true of the New Testament as well. This gives the Bible authority. It stands outside of us and speaks truth into our lives and we should listen. Simply put, the scriptures are the source of our story. I love the way Rowan Williams puts it. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, smartest human on the planet in many ways. He says, the Bible is the territory in which Christians expect to hear God speaking. Hmm. But someone says, Okay, but I don't like the Bible. <laughs> I, I don't like it. I see crazy things when I read it. I see messiness abounding. Things like, oh, I don't know, genocide, contradictory statements, wars of conquest, capital punishment, slavery, women held as property. You've got different stories of resurrection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My answer, that question what about the crazy messiness in the Bible? Genuine and heartfelt as it is, has a presumption behind it that I want you to push back on, that I want to push back on. It presumes that a book worthy of being called sacred scripture or God's word, as we say here, would not be messy, but it would always be neat and tidy. And the problem is the Bible simply doesn't behave that way. Listen to me. What we expect the Bible to be is very important. Think on that. Which is to say that the Bible, while inspired, is also a human document. It didn't drop from the sky fully formed in English. That honesty will drive you to the North Star of how Christians read Scripture. And that North Star is Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't endorse any of those things. Here's another thing Jesus said in this same gospel of John, which is such an important thing. Jesus said to a group of religious leaders, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you will not come to me that you may have life. This is what Jesus said. Warning religious leaders, the most highly regarded interpreters of the text, that get ready for it, simply reading Scripture is not enough, and I would say it's never been the plan for it to be enough. They now have to read, be read in light of Jesus Christ as testifying to Jesus the religious leaders made the tragic mistake of making the Bible an end in itself, often using it, honestly, as a collection of proof texts to justify themselves while condemning others. That's what we have a tendency to do. 
to weaponize sacred texts and to use it cruelly on our enemies. To quote one of our in-house New Testament scholars, Daniel Kirk, he says, that means that when we make Scripture ultimate, we should hear in its own voice the demand that it be given second place, that it retreat to the penultimate position, leaving Jesus rather than Scripture itself as the final word. Daniel, did I say that right? Thank you. Kind of interesting when the person you're quoting pops into church. All right. So if Christians, here's the thing. If Christians aren't going to read the Bible in the light of Christ, I think maybe we'd be better off almost not reading it at all because of what we do with it. It's powerful and it's misuse. It's misuse has hurt so many and it's still happening. All you have to do is go onto Twitter or Facebook and see this preacher in Tennessee right now who was a law enforcement officer calling for people to be killed, for committing adultery, for being gay. This still happens. It's the reason I'm leaning into this. I think one of the most important things I can do for you as your pastor is to teach you how to read your Bible in a way that doesn't hurt others. That's why I love the New Beacon Fellows program so much. It is just a deep dive into a healthy, 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 honest spirituality. Okay. So, therefore, as we form a distinctively Christian spirituality, secondly, we have to have honesty. Secondly, humility. Humility as we develop our faith. In your worship folder, there's a quote from David Myers who said this. He said, religion that forgets that we, quote, see through a glass dimly, unquote, is vulnerable to becoming delusional and dangerous. You know where that little phrase, see through a glass dimly, comes from? The Bible. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, this is how we actually see. We see dimly. We don't see it clearly. We see dimly. Those are Paul's words. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a world where people associate Christian faith immediately with humility? Because we have to imagine it since it doesn't exist. (laughs) Can you imagine? Oh, those Christians. Yeah. So you know what? Those are the people. Yeah. They know they don't know it all. Those people. They have such humility. I mean, those people, they are always listening to the experience of others. They're always asking questions. Gosh, if you ever get around them, just be prepared. They're going to want to know your story and ask questions and learn from you. Those Christians. See, we joke about this because we can't even imagine it. This is the work we had before us. The humility. Can you imagine if the first things people thought about when they thought about church was, now there's a place where questions are welcome. There's a place where I can bring my whole self. There's a place where my doubts would be normalized because it's going to be honest. I would be free to think out loud, which is so healthy. You get the idea. Imagine that world. We seek, we're not always that, but we try to be that kind of community right here, really for our entire existence. And so we expect ever-expanding vistas of understanding and growth. And we see this playing out in Scripture itself. 
The scriptures themselves show us this very evolution of consciousness developing, the human consciousness developing. We have concrete examples of it everywhere. Consider Paul. Think about Paul. Paul went from absolute certitude, so certain he was willing to kill people in the name of God, to saying, we see through a glass dimly. Something else, huh? And Scripture holds up his atti- this latter attitude as one of maturity. I don't know about you, but I was raised in environments where this catchphrase was used a lot. Kind of where I cut my teeth on theologically, more than even my church, but more like later on as I went into seminary. And it's this phrase, the clear teaching of Scripture is dot, dot, dot. Now look, I believe the Bible is clearly telling us to love our neighbors, love our enemies. I'm not claiming zero clarity. Don't misunderstand me. But just consider, and this is actually something I've seen going around the internet a little bit right now. Just consider Deuteronomy 23 says that Moabites are bad. Capital B, A, and D. And then Ruth comes along. Moabites are okay now. (laughs) Jeremiah 25 says that people from the land of Uz, U-Z, are B-A-D. And then comes the story of Job. Guess where he's from? Yeah, you got it. And guess what Job is called? He is called the most blameless man on earth. Uz is cool now. Deuteronomy 23 says, No foreigners or eunuchs are allowed in the temple. Then comes the story of an African eunuch welcomed into the church in Acts 8. See, the Bible was clear about that. The Bible was clear that Samaritans are B-A-D. Then Jesus comes along and tells parables that make Samaritans the heroes. So now Samaritans are okay. See, look, here's my point. The story may begin with prejudice, discrimination, and animosity, but the Spirit moves God's people towards openness, welcome, inclusion, acceptance, and affirmation. And this is how the Bible works. This is part of how the Bible is truly inspired and in so many ways unique. A spirit-led Christian spirituality will counter our human tendency to veer away from God's unconditional grace. Our human tendency to build systems to decide who's in and who's out. To be spirit-led is to pay attention to that tendency and let God's love in Christ always reform it, correct it. That's it. Okay, I'm giving you two words. Honesty, humility. Here's the last one. Curiosity. In a healthy Christian spirituality, curiosity will be welcomed and encouraged as something that is healthy. Healthy. Curiosity doesn't mean that we say we're always trying to change our minds on things. That's not the point. It never has and never have a fixed point. It's an acknowledgement that God has more for us to discover about God and the world in which we live. And so when the reality of God and God's acts for human salvation and Christ remain constant, human apprehension of those truths and the significant changes and developments, our access to this truth is through historically, culturally, and socially conditioned interpretations. And so this is what we could see, and I'm going to quote a friend of mine, Stan Mitchell, who's a pastor friend. He recently wrote, and I love it because as a pastor, I so relate to this. He says, pastoral ministry and hearing the experience of others, experiences of others, will always drive us back to the text, text 
to ask, are we reading this text faithfully in our present context of location and time? From the Gentile inclusion to slavery, from our understanding of the cosmos to women's rights, from interracial marriage to divorce, we have a long list, he says, of, quote, we were wrongs in our history. This history of correction should remind us that at the base of our hermeneutic or approach to Scripture should be a loving humility which is always willing to hear Jesus say, you heard it say, but I say unto you. So curiosity is a hallmark of a healthy Christian spirituality. And when you're not allowed to be curious in a church setting, my advice, run for your life. Another thing that we talk about here, and I'm I'm winding it down if you're wondering if this is about to end. It is. Or maybe you're just hoping I go for another 25 minutes. I can't tell. I'm sorry. I know know the answer to that question. My wife will tell me the answer to that question. Um, It's this idea of cognitive flexibility. You know what cognitive? Cognitive flexibility is the skill required. The skill required for you to be able to change your mind when presented with new information. If we have a spirituality where we can expect the Spirit to guide us into all the truth, is what, is what Jesus actually said. If we have a Christian spirituality that has that as an expectation, doesn't it stand to reason that we must have cognitive flexibility in a healthy Christian spirituality? Here's something I've observed in going on 30 years of being a pastor. I can't believe that. And and listening to thousands of stories in the family systems that they come from. This is my privilege, by the way. One of the great privileges of my life is that I've I've been listening to stories year after year. I have thousands of them that are impacting me. So that's a real privilege. But one of the things I've observed is, is that in, in the family systems that people come from, when it comes to cognitive flexibility, and I just want you to think about this for your own family, when it comes to cognitive flexibility, there seems to be two kinds of family systems. One that celebrates cognitive flexibility, where you can disagree, where you can, where you can learn new things. Or family systems that decry it as open-mindedness is a bad thing and warned of its dangers what we might call cognitive rigidity. Parents, listen to me. I have all adult children now. I may have learned at least one thing. God help me. I want to suggest to you, I'm giving you a game plan here for your family system. Your kids need to experience in your home. They need honesty. They need humility. They need curiosity. And they need the permission to be all of those things because you're modeling for them. The ability to disagree with you, and it'd be totally okay. If not, you will raise children who will remain children, no matter how old they are, who never individuate and claim their own spiritual development for themselves. Ultimately, you know why this posture of honesty, humility, and curiosity is so important. You know why it's so important? You would know about the story of Jesus today unless the disciples had done this. Because the Bible was extremely clear to them that everything to do with this Jesus story is only for, guess who? Their tribe. It was only for them. It wasn't for anyone else. That was the clear teaching of Scripture. 
It was just for those from Jewish backgrounds. If you're from a Jewish background, you would know about it, presumably, and we wouldn't. Gentiles wouldn't. Then Acts 10 happens. (laughs) Acts 10 happens, and the Spirit guides Peter to a new understanding. The old rules had to give way to a new and unexpected chapter. The Spirit is given to all. Lo and behold, the Gentiles are displaying belief in the resurrected Jewish Messiah, and the gifts of the Spirit of God are theirs too. And there was another opportunity for cognitive flexibility, and after much debate, the inclusion of the Gentiles takes place on the basis of this. Are you ready? It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit always takes us beyond tribalism to a more expansive understanding of God's love always. I have a friend who who makes this his life motto. He says, life is a gift. Love is the point. He told me, I want to come up with two short things that I think encapsulate how I'm trying to live my life. I thought that was pretty good. Life is a gift. Love is the point. On this Trinity Sunday, when we remember our God is not a dude up in the sky, but rather a divine dance of three in one, creator, redeemer, sustainer, who is committed to our ongoing spiritual development, let's make it real simple. Life is a gift. Love is the point. Hear today the Spirit's voice calling you to a life of ever-expansive, self-giving love. Because that's the Holy Spirit just inviting you into the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, give us grace as we seek to develop our, our own understanding of you and the way in which we want to grow that we will today hear and believe that you are committed to us, that you tell us that you won't leave us alone. We may feel alone right now. We may feel like you were a million miles away right now, actually. But help us somehow to hold on. Maybe this very moment, we might believe that you have arranged so that we might begin to go in a new trajectory, that we might hear your invitation, that you are a God of, of expansive love and that there's room for us too. Give us grace to see this in the story of your son, Jesus, today, we pray in his name. Amen.